the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Ah, you're just saying that to be nice. (laughs) Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Great to have you with us. It is, of course, a Tuesday, fifth day of November. And uh, we are here once again for another edition of Lifeline. As we are low these many years... Addressing issues on a Monday through Friday basis from 5 to 7 p.m. that address your life, your world, and your Christian walk. And we plan to do more of the same today. Hey, coming up later on, we've got a real treat for you. Best-selling author. And his brother His brother does something in radio, too. I'm not, I'm not quite, quite certain. He's not real well-known. But, but the author, he is... Seven times New York Times best-selling author. David Limbaugh joins us on the show got a brand new book out, Guilty by Reason of Insanity. And boy, if you've been watching what's going on in Washington, D.C. these days, boy, there's plenty of that insanity stuff going around in there. We'll talk about that topic and the new book with David Limbaugh coming up later on in tonight's program. Our number two tonight, Jason Yates with My Faith Votes will join us. We'll talk about a apparent huge win for religious freedom and liberty in the foster care system. And boy, if you've joined us for our past conversations with people like Vern and Judy Tyler of Hosanna Homes, you know what an attack and assault there has been in, in this urgent area, in this very important arena of, of need, some of the most vulnerable in our state, by our state, against people of faith. And there's um, some good news tonight. We'll tell you all about it later on in tonight's program. As we lead off the show, though, let's spend a moment talking about the issue of religious freedom, and in particular, an ongoing debate that relates to health care. We saw some of the most egregious attempts to try to use health care as a weapon done in the debate and eventual passage of so-called Obamacare, Largely because of mandates. No, not just mandates to make sure everybody gets taken care of, not mandates that guarantee that people with pre-existing conditions are not discriminated against, but rather mandates that insist that everyone, and without exception, has to receive health care that includes abortion services and that employers of every stripe must pay for same. Now, That becomes particularly problematic from a First Amendment viewpoint, because what do people of faith do? Well, if you're the people of faith of Skyline Wesleyan Church in Southern California, you find yourself in a very difficult predicament where the government is telling you one thing, and yet your heart, your Bible, is telling you something entirely different. It's now become a pretty severe and significant court case. Let's get details. We're joined by the president of the California Family Council, Jonathan 
Keller. Jonathan, great to have you back on the show. Boy, this is uh, this is troubling news here because it's it's more of the slippery slope of erosion of religious freedom in America. That um, if the um, if those that are enemies of the First Amendment prevail in a case like this, it could have an extremely chilling effect on religious freedom. Give us some of the background for listeners that are not aware of the battle that's been enjoined with Skyline Wesleyan Church. Tell us what's going on. Well, hi, Craig. First off, thanks so much for having me back on the program. It really is always a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Um, Yeah, this is a case that has actually been going on in some form or another for over five years. Essentially, back in 2014, California's Department of Managed Healthcare issued a letter to all of the insurance companies in the state of California and said that they had come to a brand new decision, a regulatory decision. Uh, winding it back even further than 2014, going back into the 1970s, there was a law that says no insurance plan in the state of California can refuse to cover what the state deems as medically necessary health care services. I mean, this seems like a reasonable thing for the state to mandate. For example, no insurance plan in the state could refuse to cover dialysis for someone who had kidney failure. They could not refuse to cover uh, insulin for a diabetic. And they couldn't refuse to cover the anomaly in 2014, the state of California and the Department of Managed Healthcare did something really insidious. And instead of passing a new law, instead of going to the people with a vote on a ballot initiative, behind closed doors, essentially in the cover of night, they decided to redefine elective surgical abortion along the same uh, requirement as a medically necessary health care service. So they said now every insurance plan in the state of California, going beyond even the requirements of Obamacare, must treat, again, elective surgical abortion as a medically necessary health care service. So this meant that every plan in the state of California, including those that were purchased by churches, by synagogues, by mosques, by faith-based organizations like uh, KFAX, Uh, California Family Council, the group that I work with, even pregnancy care centers and pro-life organizations, every plan purchased by any individual or organization in the state of California was now required, as of August 2014, to pay for elective surgical abortions. You know, what's troubling about this, Jonathan, uh, under the the concept of the way basic insurance works, it's pooled risk, right? So there are 10 of us in our insurance company. We each pay $10 a year. Wouldn't that be nice? So we have this pool of this fund of $100 that's available amongst us to cover for our medical needs. And provided that all 10 of us don't apply for anything more than $10 each, generally this works out pretty well. But that concept of pooled risk also means that the money that I am putting into the system vis-a-vis through my insurance premiums ends up paying for your medical needs. And we're all happy to do that because we all receive and enjoy the same coverage. Where it breaks down is all of a sudden, by default, that means as a faith-based organization where I have certain 
moral lines in the sand that I have drawn. I have biblical lines in the sand. I have positions of belief that I say, I can't go there. I can't support that. I find it scripturally, theologically, and morally repugnant. You don't get a choice because of the concept of pooled risk suddenly means that whether I like it or not, as a faith-based organization, a portion of my premiums will go to pay for abortions. And I suppose, likewise, that means that I'm also forced as a employer of religious faith, religious belief, to provide said services to my employees as well, even though they find it abhorrent. I mean, this seems to be such a an erosion of First Amendment rights, such a breakdown in the protection of religious liberty in our state. I, I, I find this absolutely unfathomable that the the insurance department would even think that such a thing would be a good idea. You're absolutely right, Craig. And remember, the First Amendment, when we talk about the First Amendment, so often people in popular culture really think that it only applies to freedom of speech, maybe also to freedom of the press. But I'm sure your listeners know this, but in case we have any any friends who are slightly less constitutionally literate listening, um, it's important to remember there are actually five specific, explicit freedoms that are protected by the First Amendment to the Constitution. Those aren't just freedom of speech and freedom of the press, but those are first off, Congress shall make no law respecting establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or uh, abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right to peaceably assemble or petition the government for redress of grievances. So inside the First Amendment, in addition to religious freedom, in addition to, as we said, the, the right to uh, press and speech, Freedom of assembly, freedom of association is a very key and important right for Americans. I mean, it is on par with those other First Amendment freedoms. And what the government is doing with this law, simultaneously telling you, going back to Obamacare, like you said, they are saying you must associate. We are requiring that you purchase health insurance coverage. You you cannot any longer without a large... You must associate with other individuals for the sake of health care. And obviously, you know, you and I, I think, have severe concerns with that. But unfortunately, the Supreme Court upheld that by a five to four decision. So, okay, we lost that battle. But now, like you said, combine the Obamacare individual mandate with this new mandate from the Department of Managed Health Care. And what they are telling you between the federal government and the state government of California is you must associate for the purposes of health care. And, by the way, you may only associate with others who are going to be paying for this specific elective procedure that you find morally abhorrent and deeply violating of your conscience and your religious beliefs. Uh, I mean, it really is something that is, is shocking. Um, and the only reason why I think it has not gotten wider notice is because the state of California recognized how controversial it would be. And, Craig, not only did they go about doing this in a way that was deceptive, not only did they do this secretly behind closed doors, but when they issued this guidance to the insurance company, they gave them specific permission and even gave them suggestions that they remove references to the abortion coverage in the plan notices so that Many of these churches, many of these faith-based organizations 
did not even realize that their plans had been changed to cover elective surgical abortion. I mean, it really is appalling and uh, frankly, evil. Well, and demonstrative, I think, Jonathan, that they knew there was going to be pushback on this, and so they were trying to take the 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 lowest key, most uh, uh, circuitous route to get there, out of fear, no doubt, of raising the ire of people of faith across the state. And this raises some important questions that I'd like to have you also tackle for us in relationship to this case that's currently and still making its way through the court system, but in relationship to other similar cases most notably Hobby Lobby and Little Sisters of the Poor. If you've just tuned in, we've got Jonathan Keller on the line. He's president of the California Family Council. We're talking about a uh, case that's continuing to make its way through the courts and currently in front of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, God help us, Lord, please, um, that relates to a demand, and I choose that word intentionally, that insurance coverage for employees must include elective abortions, even if faith-based organizations and people of faith don't want them, don't want to pay for them, don't want to have that as part of their insurance coverage. State of California says, yeah, too bad, don't get a vote. Oh, that constitutional thing? Well, that's an old piece of paper. Take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Lifeline continues. Right now, though, we're going to get you a look at traffic here. 519, we're a bit late. Let's get caught up. Find the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are discussing the plight of Wesleyan, Skyline Wesleyan Church that has been dealing with the pushback um, related to a mandate that came through the California Department of Managed Health Care, clear back in 2014, not long after we saw the passage and implementation of Obamacare, that insists now that even faith-based organizations across our state provide abortion services through insurance, and that said faith-based organizations must pay for the same with total disregard for a particular denomination's or individual's religious belief. And, you know, as you pointed out in your comments earlier, Jonathan, this is not like an insurance company saying, um, we're going to make sure that you cannot be denied um, uh, treatment for cancer. We're going to make sure that you have access to uh, care for, uh, I don't know, uh, your heart should you have a heart attack. little bit of a different story than an elective procedure that a good percentage of Americans have a moral problem with. Now, talk to me about this particular case in light of the decisions related to both Hobby Lobby and some of the ongoing challenges faced by Little Sisters of the Poor that have felt the same sort of pressure. Yeah, so the important thing, Craig, to remember is that the Supreme Court recently, even as they upheld Obamacare, they have pushed back both against uh, mandates in the Hobby Lobby case and the Little Sisters of the Poor case, and even in the case of California most recently last year relating to pregnancy care centers and them speaking a message they disagree with, the Supreme Court has done a good job of upholding religious exemption. Even though they upheld the broad scope of Obamacare, they have said any sort of government mandate like this must still respect people's deeply held religious beliefs. And Unfortunately, uh, there's really no other way to put it. The state of California has 
essentially looked at the United States Supreme Court and the federal government, the Department of Health and Human Services under the Trump administration, and basically told them to go take a hike, that they are essentially threatening the federal government with how are you going to stop us? We are California. We are the resistance state, and we are going to do what we want. We are going to force churches in our state to do what we want them to do. And really, what are you going to do about it? Well, the good news is that our friends of Alliance Defending Freedom are doing something about it. I was privileged to be with them on the steps of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in Pasadena, California, just yesterday. And I was able to join one of the pastors from Skyline Wesleyan Church, alongside several of the attorneys from Alliance Defending Freedom, to talk about the very real threats that this uh, decision, I won't even call it a bill, because it really is just a regulatory decision, how it is affecting churches. And the good news is that Alliance Defending Freedom told us yesterday and told cameras on the steps of the Supreme, or excuse me, the steps of the Ninth Circuit Court, uh, that they are willing to take this all the way to the United States Supreme Court, if necessary. Uh, By God's grace, they have an incredible track record, winning nine Supreme Court cases in just the last eight years. And their attorney, David Cortman, and Jeremiah Gallus, who were the two attorneys arguing the case yesterday, said that they really believe, from a constitutional perspective, regardless of California's uh, blatant defiance of the First Amendment, this should be an open-and-shut case as it relates to the First Amendment. Well, one would think, particularly since, uh, you know, it it doesn't take a Rhodes Scholar to kind of figure out the manners in which this violates the First Amendment, and that there is outstanding Supreme Court-level case law to demonstrate that what the state of California is trying to do is, uh, you know, not only uh, blatantly unconstitutional, uh, but clearly trying to make a point here, tr- clearly trying to put its collective thumb in somebody's eye. And uh, and sadly, uh, if they think that the church, in this case Skyline Wesleyan, is just going to roll over and play dead, uh, they're going to be in for a big surprise. Well, I appreciate so much, Jonathan, the update. We're going to get the folks from Alliance Defending Freedom to uh, join us hopefully here within the next week to, as they're able, give us more details as this case continues to progress its way uh, to and through the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and hopefully end there. Hopefully, California will say, okay, we're going to back off on our major social experiment here in our ignoring of case law and that little minor document called the U.S. Constitution, and we'll show regard for a change for people of faith. It's it's troubling and fascinating, but sadly, the trend seems to be heading in this unfortunate direction. Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council. More information about their great work online at californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. This is a very fascinating and unintentional segue into my next guest coming up after the break. We're going to talk about a case here that you look at it on the surface and say, wait a minute, case law, constitutional law, First Amendment rights, You'd have to be insane to not see the violation here. And yet, there's a lot of that going around. David Limbaugh joins us. We'll talk about his new book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity, as this edition of Lifeline continues. Traffic, perhaps a little insane out there, too, right? 
second full day of the time change, and it's darker out, so make sure you got the headlights on, you're driving safe. And uh, let's find out what that road ahead looks like. From the KFAX Traffic Center, here's the latest for you. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you have been shocked, dismayed even, at the state of so-called civil discourse in America, you're not alone. A recent poll put out by Pew Research found that fully 29% of Americans say they are angry at the government, an increase of more than threefold since 2001. Our ability as Americans to come and reason together is no longer in reasoned tones, nor seemingly are we together. If there is a divide, and there is... What's the force driving the agenda to divide? Joining me now, New York Times best-selling author, number of books to his credit, including The True Jesus, Uncovering the Divinity of Christ in the Gospels, and his latest, Guilty by Reason of Insanity. Pleased to have join us on the program tonight, attorney, best-selling author and columnist, David Limbaugh. David, welcome. Great to have you with us again. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, a bit of a, a departure, at least in the sense that most of your recent books have focused on spiritual topics, biblical topics. Uh, here you return to the political. Why? Is there a, a sense of warning here? Yes, I mean, uh, I'm passionate about both uh, spiritual and political issues, and they're related, obviously, but also very different and on different planes. But I think that what's going on in the political realm does have spiritual overtones, spiritual roots, but that's really not what the book is about. I believe that there is an urgency in this country. Uh, If we want to preserve this nation as the greatest, freest, and most prosperous and benevolent nation that's ever been in existence, uh, we need to fight the political left who seeks to radically or I should say, complete their radical transformation of the country into something the framers wouldn't recognize. Their agenda is so extreme uh, that we can't afford to let them back in control of the political branches, if we can help it. What's problematic here, of course, is that in times past, historically as Americans, we've been able to work through disagreements with a sense of civility and rationality and and, and certainly have a, a sense of making sure that in the end we were unified in our love for all things American. We may have differences of opinions, but there was still just one America. I'm getting the growing sense here from the, the, the left coast uh, that there are becoming, there's emerging distinctively two Americas, and they are not only very distinct and different, but some ways they're almost at polar opposites of each other. Do you think that's true? In most ways. I mean, they. Uh, how do you compromise with a group of extremists who advocates killing babies in the womb up to the point of birth and beyond, open borders, uh, and the abolishment, abolition of, of ICE, uh, the, the Border Enforcement Agency, uh, a, a transition to socialism, a rejection of capitalism, of course, uh, gender and and racial politics and exploitation, uh, authoritarianism and intolerance and violence from the left. 
How do you compromise with that kind of radical extreme agenda, which now is the predominant theme in the uh, Democratic Party? And, of course, what's problematic about this is um, the the blue states versus the red states, the blue states um, are seeing an increase in their population and their ability to, therefore, influence the direction of our nation uh, seems to be on the rise, which is troubling to many, uh, to the point where I've often looked at where we're at today as a nation spiritually, morally, politically, and I've, I've kind of quietly wondered to myself if America were ever faced with a World War II-style event again, where literally the the future of civilized world were at risk, and there were opposing forces that were enemies of democracy that were not only seeking to, but succeeding at, largely, overtaking the entirety of the free world. Um, could America ever fight a war like World War II again? And I have to wonder, David, from your observations, do we even have the moral and political unity or will to engage that kind of enemy should it ever rise again? Oh, it's very uh, questionable. Uh, first place, the, the left doesn't even believe in nation states. Uh, they are more globalistic. They don't believe in America as founded. They believe it was born in hell, and they seek revenge on America. They want to uh, radically change our history, uh, and they're in- engaged in the cancel culture. I think uh, a more fundamental question is whether we can preserve the country from internal disintegration, let alone some threat from a foreign power, which, of course, those threats definitely exist, and the left denies those, too. Well, and, and clearly at the, at the core of your argument in the book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity, that our ability to come together as a nation to be able to fight an outward opposing enemy uh, is, is extremely questionable. And, and you raise an interesting point. Um, early on, your opening words of Chapter 1, you say, and I'm quoting here, every great world power eventually fails. The process often begins with self-inflicted wounds. What do you mean by that? Well, we all know that the Roman Empire uh, destroyed itself. It wasn't some external force that destroyed it. I mean, that's the final cause, of course. The immediate cause was uh, the Gauls and all that. But they they were so weak from within, morally and, and otherwise, that they were no longer strong and couldn't protect themselves and didn't have the will to protect themselves and the unity. And, and we are tearing ourselves apart at the seams. I say we, the left is. The left is, truly, the left does not respect America. America is not that great. America has never been that great. You hear the, the, the Democrats, the Democratic leaders saying that. Cory, I mean, not Cory Booker, uh, uh, who, uh, who was it? Uh, well, Cuomo said it. Governor Cuomo in New York said that. Uh, and, and Holder, Eric Holder, Obama's attorney general. A lot of them say it. They're, they don't. They don't appreciate America as founded. Uh, they believe that because of slavery and we we committed allegedly committed genocide against the uh, Native Americans and that type of thing, which is way simplistic, an oversimplified version of history. Uh, we fought a civil war to atone for slavery, but there's no atoning uh, from the left because they want to keep a, a permanent victim class. They want to continue to patronize and exploit uh, 
minorities. Uh, they, they deny that there's been strides made, and they, they want to exploit it because uh, exploit race and gender because that is their ticket to power. And everything they do uh, indicates that they want people at each other's throats, whether it's pitting women against men, gays against straight, blacks against whites, whites against Hispanics. Uh, they want to reject, and not want to, they do reject Martin Luther King's legacy of, of racial colored blindness, judging people on uh, by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Don Lemon at CNN says, I'm offended if you don't look at me as a black man. They're, they're in latter-day segregation after forced busing to integrate in the 60s or 70s, whenever it was. <laughs> they, they have, they say that racism now is systemic, this critical race theory which they've adopted uh, via academia, and we white people are racist by virtue of their whiteness. So it doesn't matter what your heart is, it doesn't matter what your conduct is, it doesn't matter how much you love minorities and all people as created in God's image, you are deemed a racist. And they have convinced minorities, they've convinced blacks that white conservatives are racist. And that's why I think they hold on to the overwhelming majority of the black vote, even though the Democratic Party works against their economic and cultural interests. Well, of course, there's been some very... uh concentrated efforts uh, toward accomplishing that that sense of uh, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for here that that sense of stick to itiveness uh, that 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 sense of loyalty and uh, we'll we'll talk about that when we come back after the break because I think it's very important to know that sometimes certain actions in the political arena that are being couched as altruistic and with nothing but the best intents uh, um, some might share that view. Others might largely step and say, back and say, you know what? You have used this. You have manipulated this as a tool not to better others' station in life, but rather to hold them down. A good example of that is LBJ's so-called war on poverty. I want to talk about that when we come back after the break. With us today, best-selling author David Limbaugh, the new book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity. And it's interesting, largely America... Through most of its history, we shared the same values. We had often the same goals, perhaps different ways of achieving those goals, or even radically different. But today, it seems as if it's not just a different way of achieving the goals. It's goals that are at the polar opposite. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation. Number one national best-selling author, David Limbaugh, guilty by reason of insanity, as this edition of Lifeline continues. Let's pause for a quick update on traffic over at the KFAX Traffic Center at 546. Here's the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Newly released by Regnery Press, owned by the same fine folks that own this here radio station, a new book out called Guilty by Reason of Insanity. Best-selling author David Limbaugh is with us. David, I mentioned before the break the sense that historically, at least up until recent memory, America largely had the same values. We had the same goals in mind. We might have had different ways of achieving those goals maybe even radically different ways of getting there, but we still had the same goals in mind. Today, though, is it largely true that what's happening here is that we've got goals that are at absolute polar opposites of each other? Yeah, and I say that very thing in the first few pages of 
chapter one of my book. Um, and it's demonstrably true. It's objectively true. They want, and I, as I said earlier, they want abortion on demand up to the point of birth and beyond. They want uh, to implement socialism. Now, think about this. They want full-blown socialism. They want, a, they, they want programs such as Medicare for All that might cost $50 trillion, and they, Elizabeth Warren wants to tax the wealthy to do it when you can't even get, uh, you couldn't even run that grandiose, ridiculous program for two years if you confiscated 100% of the wealth of billionaires. And she proposes these preposterous things and lies about how she's going to fund it, and, and let alone what it would do to the economy and what it would do to the quality of, of health care and choice that people have over their health care. And then Bernie Sanders makes the same proposal, except he's honest about being socialistic and says, I would tax the middle class. It's okay, because uh, we could still gouge the rich more. They're all about pitting people against each other, as I said. They, th this is what the left wants. Socialism impoverishes and enslaves. It killed 100 million people in the 20th century alone, and it always suppresses the economy, kills economic growth. Growth comes from people, creative people, working through incentives with the invisible hand of the market in a free market economy, and the, the pie expands. The, the left wants to make the pie finite and then use the coercive power of government to redistribute wealth and more closely equalize income. Throughout history, we didn't have capitalism, free markets, until a few centuries ago, and it history of world poverty. The only people who had money were the rulers. And then when we had capitalism, it, it sparked a, a, a prosperity globally throughout the world. And we've seen unprecedented pro prosperity the last few hundred years, and now they want to implement socialism and destroy it. And that's what they're doing, and it can't work. And, and, and it's failed every time it's tried, and yet they always say, like good Marxists, uh, we just haven't had the right people to implement it. Well, no one's ever had the right person to implement it because not only is it failed in practice, it's failed in theory. It can't work because it relies on central planners to have omniscience. They, the, there's no way central to make the kind of decisions that individual buyers and sellers make with each other when they enter into a voluntary transaction by definition of which both benefit, and they have their they have knowledge of their own particular circumstances and know what benefits them, and they enter in those transactions, and you extrapolate that throughout the economy of millions of people, the central planners would have to have that kind of information to make those kind of beneficial decisions, and they just have it. They can't have it. It's impossible, and socialistic governments cannot work, and that's why they produce poverty, and ultimately political tyranny as well. And of course, the irony is that typically when you have a scenario where a third party is deciding what's best for you, the decision ultimately means it's best for absolutely no one. It's interesting, too, because so much of this, I suppose, David, depends on the kind of package that you wrap it up in. So we don't call it socialism. We call it health care for all. Or in the 1960s, when LBJ waged his war on poverty, uh, in reality, there was another agenda behind that, too, wasn't there? Oh, how sweet. You know, that even got its name from, from a socialist, uh, the, the Great Society. And, and, and that was a program uh, that, that a socialist, I think a British socialist, concocted. 
And LBJ, I believe, was a racist. He wanted to exploit blacks and forever get them in the Democratic fold by promising them that they, the gov- they would be dependent on the government. And it destroyed the, the nuclear family uh, for so many black families. And now then it also did the same for white families. They're just behind uh, the curve on this because it hasn't been happening as long. But it's a destruction of the nuclear family. It's a destruction of human dignity to make people permanently dependent on government. But it is a seductive program where the left gets people dependent on, on government and hooked on government, and then they end up having to vote for uh, the people who are subjugating them because they don't have the means anymore to overcome it. This is why Republicans, when Jack Kemp proposed welfare reform, and we introduced welfare reform, uh, and, and, and Clinton, by the way, vetoed it twice, and over uh, his dead body he finally signed the bill, and it t- started taking people off of welfare because it gave people incentive to, uh, to work and get off. And as soon as Obama got in, he killed welfare reform, even though it was uplifting his own people. Now you have Donald Trump, whose, whose economy has caused unprecedented prosperity for minority com, uh, communities. Wages have risen. Uh, the, uh, the prosperity of, of minorities has increased in an unprecedented way, and the liberals still want to take that away, and, and blacks are still voting overwhelmingly for Democrats, and the only explanation I have for that is they have been propagandized and indoctrinated into believing that we hate them and we're racist, and it's the most vicious slander I can ever imagine, but so far it has worked. Well, sadly, I mean, there, there continues to be racial divide in this country, and, and we've seen a lot of this play out in, in a variety of of avenues, so I, I think at the end of the day, some of this this feeling and this divide is is rooted in very real experiences. But that said, the the broader picture here, I think, David, is what we've seen is sort of this steady march um, from the initial attack on the nuclear family that's now been extended into our institutions. We've seen it happening against government, education, even the fourth and fifth in state, and I think what's terribly problematic as an attorney, perhaps you can speak to this, and that is that the one thing that was kind of the the equalizer here, the one thing that kept everything on equal footing, no matter how crazy things got, we could come back to one thing that protected us, and that is that our rights as human beings, as Americans, were protected by the Constitution. Sadly, though, um, we've seen even a shift there where more and more the left wants to see the Constitution not as a guarantee, but as a, as a good thought, as a general guideline. Well, uh, we believe, conservatives generally believe, that our rights descended from God, and therefore uh, they're unalienable. The liberals, the left, generally believe that rights descend from the government, and only you're only entitled to those rights that the government, in its beneficence, allows you to have. The, the conservative believe, believes in the constitutional structure of government, which imposes limitations on government to preserve our liberties. The separation of powers, the Bill of Rights, the doctrine of federalism, dividing power between state, federal, and local governments. The left doesn't believe in that. It, it, it believes that the end justifies the means, and so it will usurp power from the judiciary by the judiciary of the legislative branch and have the, the judiciary 
legislate laws when it's supposed to be an arbiter of disputes that come before it, a passive arbiter of disputes, not a law-making uh, branch. And so they don't respect the Constitution like conservatives do, and, and therefore uh, all rights and liberties are vulnerable if the left is in control. Well, especially the, the, the danger zone here, David, in the sense that we understand from a historical viewpoint that the Constitution doesn't grant us rights. It simply protects those rights as the Constitution, as the Bill of Rights speaks of its own self, that these are inalienable, that they are God-given. And so the Constitution is in place as a vehicle that can protect the rights that we have, the liberties that we have. If you take the viewpoint or the belief that the Constitution grants rights or grants liberties, then therefore it's easy to say, well, what the Constitution grants, we just redefine the Constitution or how we interpret it, and we can take those rights away. When we do that, that's very dangerous territory. That's exactly right. The, the, the Bill of Rights are prohibitions against government taking rights that we already have uh, as given to us by God. That's the point that you and I are both making. It's a fascinating read and uh, an exhaustive one, I might add. David has taken the time to very carefully go through and uh, delineate notes that relate to all the references throughout his book that runs, my goodness, more than 380-something pages. And it is perhaps a, a historical long view of where we are today how we got here, and most importantly, what we can do to prevent this from falling off the cliff or joining, in the words of David Limbaugh, some of those other past societies that destroyed themselves, such as the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, and even the old Soviet Empire. Guilty by Reason of Insanity, newly released by Regnery Press. You'll find it in bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online and get it through David's website at davidlimbaugh.com. That's davidlimbaugh.com. And, uh, Counselor, always a education to have you with us. Thanks so much for carving out some time tonight to talk about the new book. We wish you continued success. You too. Thank you so much for having me. There is David Limbaugh, his brother again, a name that just uh, it slips me for the moment, but I know it'll come to me. <laughs> uh, we love David's work. Good stuff. 601 from KFAX. Let's get you an update on traffic. We'll head back over to the KFAX Traffic Center and the latest on your Tuesday ride home.